everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast. I'm so thankful you've decided to join me and my guest today as we talk about the journey uh, of uh, embracing the full stack of technologies that spread across today's modern data center. Um, if this is your first time joining the podcast, I am very appreciative that you've decided to uh, take some time to listen. The purpose of the podcast is to talk with real world people and provide practical, actionable advice to help listeners on their journey towards embracing sort of this, this suite of technologies that are um, that are invading today's modern data center, helping uh, listeners become more, more familiar with and more comfortable at working both across different technology silos and among different layers of the modern data center. Uh, joining me today on this episode, I have uh, Andrew Ritzai, um, and I, I hope I didn't mangle that too bad, Andrew. Oh, that wasn't bad. So, um, uh, you know, Andrew, I don't think that you and I really had a chance to talk very much, um, but I, I, I kind of know you through other folks on the Packet Pushers Network. Um, why don't you just, you know, kind of fill us in a little bit on your background and, and, and tell both me and the listeners a little bit more about, uh, about what brought you to where you are now. Sure, no problem. Um, so kind of have, a, you know, an extensive net, uh, networking background. Um, I started off doing uh, networking for a very large automotive company here in Michigan, um, that's where I live is in, uh, Detroit, Michigan area. Um, went into, uh, you know, consulting and things like that for Cisco partners, then went into the VAR world and things and then managed services, uh, but had a lot of different experience with, you know, Cisco routers and switches with wireless security, um, you know, voice and video, just lots of different ranges of the networking world, because I've, I've always had a genuine interest in all different aspects of networking. And of recent, you know, changes in the last three years is, you know, really taking an interest in how the industry is changing with overlay tunneling, automation, orchestration. You know, I, I kind of feel like the the networking industry has reached a point where we're completely changing the game, you know, and it's so much different than what it was 15, 20 years ago. So that, that caught my eye. And I always wanted to be at the forefront of something in networking and in, in the technology industry. So when I saw this opportunity, I just had to jump at it. So it's it's been a labor of love. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of long nights and, and a lot of frustration as I'm learning brand new things that I'm not used to and, and really changing my mindset of how to look at networking. But it's it's been awesome. I, I've loved it. Oh, that's awesome, Andrew. I tell you, I, I bet that uh, we have a lot of listeners, you know, perhaps because of, you know, our affiliation with with Packet Pushers, which, of course, you know, speaks to the the networking community that I, I bet we have a lot of listeners who are really going to be, identi- be able to identify with sort of your story of being someone who's really, really interested in networking and and then sees these these changes coming along with, you know, broad changes in terms of, you know, decoupling control plane from data plane, a la, you know, software-defined networking, overlays, encapsulation, protocols, you know, uh, automation, orchestration, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's so many interesting trends happening in the networking industry right now, at least in my opinion, that it's uh, if you are a networking person, there's certainly no lack of interesting things to track and and watch and and learn about. But of course, that learning, as you uh, shared, you know, involves some extra time, some extra effort, um, some some failures along the way that we learn from, um, but also some successes. Um, so you know, you've been in the industry a, a fair while, it sounds like, and 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 I've always kind of been uh, focused on networking. It seems like networking, I mean, we, we just talked about how all these things are happening in networking, but at the same time, it also seems like networking is is not evolving. And I'm, I'm curious as to your take on sort of like where you see that, like how how similar and yet how different is a core network professional's job today versus, let's say, you know, 10 years ago? 
Well, you know, I don't think it's too much different from – so today in most enterprises and, and companies that are out there, I don't think the change has hit them yet. Uh, you know, for for the company that I'm working at right now, we're embracing the change and, and, and starting to really, you know, jump into a new world and embrace what is out there now with the changes in, you know, you, know, you have technologies like ACI and, you know, OpenStack obviously and NSX and, and all this different world here. We changed the game on how we can do firewalling. You know, obviously you have the buzzwords of micro segmentation, things like that. We're using automation orchestration, all those different buzzwords that are out there. But a lot of people I still think are not embracing that yet because there's a lot of nervousness and maybe a little bit of trepidation as to the unknown of what's out there. But once you start to really embrace it, I think that it becomes a lot easier. Um, but I don't think that you make a change. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, you know what? Well, I'm just going to change how I do my network over at my company. It's You have to start at square one. You have to start figuring out how you're going to interconnect this new environment, this new methodology into your current network. And you know, migration of services over to it, you're still going to have to keep the lights up and running. You're going to have to still keep the business running. So we're not throwing out all the old stuff that we've done. If anything, we're just building upon it. And eventually we will sundown the old things that we have, all the old networking devices and things like that, and go toward the new and shiny. But, but, it, but it's not an overnight change, and, and we're not going to shut the lights off on what we had. You know, I think that's a, a really interesting and important point to make. Um, I, I talk, obviously, the, the nature of the show is to talk with people like yourself who have evolved their careers and embraced uh, sort of new technologies or or maybe even have, you know, moved to entirely different skill sets. You know, maybe they were, uh, you know, a networking professional and now have focused entirely on software development or something of that nature, right? And 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 the purpose of having these conversations is to sort of pull out and, and glean these lessons that can be learned for all of us who are listening and who are in the industry who need to embrace a, a lifelong style of learning throughout our career because, of course, IT and technology doesn't stop changing. It doesn't stop evolving. So we as IT professionals also can't stop changing and evolving. But I think it is important for you to mention that uh, that you did mention that this change is never like suddenly drastic overnight you know, like, you know, Friday, you're, you're doing one thing and Monday morning you wake up and you're doing something entirely different. So there's always a, a gradual sort of shift as technologies are phased in, in conjunction with existing technologies, as new technologies are, uh, you know, layered in on top of what you may already be using, or as your skill set is gradually extended to encompass not only what you did before, but also what you are being asked to do now or in the future. Um, so I think that's an important point and I'm glad you brought it up. You know, for the listeners out there, I, I, I want to make it very clear. It's, there was no greater skeptic of these changes of SDN and, and, you know, all the things that were coming down the pipeline than me. You know, I, I remember listening to the very beginnings of it almost like five, six years ago. I mean, time's really flying. So, you know, I could be wrong on the amount of time that we're talking about here, but I remember hearing this mindset, this idea of SDN and very skeptical and saying, you know what, like, I don't know if this is going to work. This seems like a lot of talk, but but I'm not seeing a lot of action. I'm not seeing a lot of products or, or, or people really embracing this. And it really took a lot for me to see the benefit. And, and once I started to go, oh, yeah, well, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm actually going to dive headfirst into this. And I'm going to give this a real shot instead of just being negative about it. And because it's very easy to look at something new that's coming down the pipeline and go, 
I can give you a hundred reasons why it's not going to work, but no one wants to deal with that guy in the room. Um, and, and no one wants to, that, that person's not going to help progress the business. So you have to sometimes set aside your pride, you know, thinking that the, you know, the network is special and, and we're making snowflakes and things like that, you know, and, and really embrace new technology and say, you know, let me find ways that I can make this work. Let me give this a shot. And if it doesn't work, then I can say, ha ha, I told you so. But otherwise let's give this an honest you know, reason why this could potentially go into my network or your network or anyone else's network. You know, I think that um, that being a skeptic sometimes is is beneficial because rather than just sort of blindly accepting some new technology that is coming down the pike, you're taking a step back and saying, hold on a second. Let me let me see. Does this really offer me and my company a, a benefit? Is it really going to do what it says it's going to do? Is it really going to bring about the benefits that it says it's going to bring about? Um, you know, I'm going to take the, you know, the, the naysayers approach and actually prove it out. Um, but I guess there's a, there's a balance there as there is in all things. And that is that you can't over rotate too far and say, Oh, you know, I'm never going to mess with that. Cause that is never going to amount to anything. You have to at least invest some time to either validate your initial thoughts that it's not really going to change things fundamentally for you or be open to the change that, hey, this really does change things and there is a benefit to be found. Absolutely. You know, I think I started to get a mindset of embracing newer things. I started doing a lot of reflection and, and thinking back to older times, like when I was a consultant and, and stuff, because now I work for a very large enterprise and, you know, enterprises, as everyone know, tend to move a little bit slower. They're a little uh, less, you know, willing to adopt new technologies because, Yet again, got to keep the lights on, got to make sure that we're still, uh, you know, doing normal day-to-day business and we're not making customers mad. Um, But when I was a consultant and I would go into these companies and I would try to push new ideas, even if it was something as simple as like refreshing their network or, or, or finding all those things that they could improve something, how much resistance I received from them and the thought of, oh, well, I'm trying to make them look dumb. I'm trying to take their job. I'm trying to you know, to prove that there's no reason for them to be around. And that could have been further from the truth. It was me trying to help them to augment their abilities and do the things that they may not have the time or the expertise to do. So when I look at these new technologies that are coming out, I had to step back and think, why am I treating this the same way as other customers were treating me when I was the consultant? These are new tools that can help me work better and more efficient. So instead of finding a way to say no, why don't I just embrace it and find a way to say yes? That's a that's a great um, sort of story there, and and I think it's it's helpful uh, for listeners who maybe who have have had a similar experience who worked in the VAR space or the consulting space. I I spent years there as well, and now I have moved into a customer space to be able to say you know. Think back to when you were you were working with the customer and that and that customer just didn't want to listen to what you were what you were suggesting. You know, you don't want to be that customer now. You want to say, hold on, let me let me give this an honest shot. Um, so, you know, building off of that, as as you began to embrace some of these technologies and these trends, um, you know, that you were initially very skeptical about, but decided, hey, I, I need to you know, I need to take a look at these things and see what the story really is. I, I wonder you know, what were some of the the key challenges that you really faced in in sort of embracing these technologies? And I don't know if, if you can distill that down to, you know, two or three or whatever that number is, sort of key things that you remember, like, oh, this is a real challenge that I have to face, whether it was a shift in mindset or a new skill that you had to pick up or or, or whatever. I'm curious to know your thoughts there. 
You know, it was um, first off, it's you know, depending on the technology that you're working with, it could be a brand new set of of terms and and you know, language that you have to learn. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing how when you switch to a different technology or or a different type of of methodology of doing something that they'll change the names, but it's not anything new. It's just, it's a new way of calling, you know, a spade a spade. So, um, there was a little bit of just, you know, a learning curve of trying to figure out what they meant, you know, because you have technologies that are out there that are, that are, you know, maybe overlay networking technologies or things like that, that they weren't originally networking companies. So their way of explaining what function they were trying to get across to you, I would go, Oh wait, no, that's not that that's this instead. So, there was a little bit of a learning curve there. Um, you know, also in the very, very beginning, maybe there's a little bit of that, you know, mindset of, like I said, I, I wanted to prove this technology because I was a big skeptic. So I wanted to prove that there was something wrong with this, that it just wasn't going to work. But then the more and more I work with it, I started to understand, well, this actually can work. So it started to open my eyes and make me more accepting of that, not only that technology, but also many other products and start to go, well, you know what, maybe there's a landscape of other things that I can use in here to make me more efficient and, and make my company work better. So, you know, it, 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 there was more acceptance and more willingness to then start journeying outside into the unknown. Um, but then also, you know, another big thing you have to work through is the acceptance with your peers. Cause you know, I'm not the only one that's running the network there. You know, I, I got a whole team that I work with uh, of peers that I need to also not only be comfortable with it, but they need to be comfortable. So I almost then have to, once I accept it, work to convince the rest of the team and let and you know, try to get them to be accepting of this new methodology because, you know, we're, I'm not a one man team. I can't, I like to take vacation. I like to do other things on the weekends besides work 24 seven. So, you know, it's, it, you all of a sudden become a cheerleader for the product, which you were so skeptical, skeptical about in the first place. So um, th those are some of the ones that come off the top of my head uh, initially. Okay. So one of the things that I picked out there um, was, you know, sort of just uh, at, at when you're moving into a new technology area, uh, understanding the terminology. And this is something that I've talked about before um, when I share sort of some of the, some of the tips and techniques that, that I use personally in trying to enhance and streamline my own learning experience. And that is usually spending a little bit of time up front sort of just defining some of the key terms that you often run into uh, because then once you have defined those terms, you can go back and read documentation or examples or, or whatever, you know, sort of materials that are pertaining to that technology and not be stopping every, you know, fourth word and saying, now, what was that again? Um, and so it just kind of, uh, you know, assists uh, some, some, some reading comprehension. Uh, I wonder, you know, was, was there a particular, um, method that you perhaps used in that, in that case, or was it just something that you had to, just something you recognized that you had to do and, and there was nothing specific that you necessarily did to address it? Uh, nothing specific. It's, you know, I, I'm more of a learn by doing sort of individual. I, you know, I, I can read something three, four times, but you can ask me, you know, what did I just read and, and now get maybe about a quarter of what I was supposed to get out of there. Um, you know, so it was really just sitting down, you know, working in the lab, you know, build it, break it down, redo it, you know, making sure I understood the terminology, just like it was repetition, repetition, repetition. Next thing you knew, I actually remembered the terms and I knew what we were dealing with from that point on. Yeah, I got you. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, at incorporating a hands-on element is, is always, always helpful. 
uh, when you're when you're trying to embrace a new technology. And I think that's you're probably the reason that so many folks out there have you know uh, their own home lab with you know servers and storage area networks and and switches and firewalls and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Um, some uh, enormously uh, complex and extravagant, uh, might I say. Um, but uh, uh, coupling that hands-on experience with the use of techniques to uh, you know improve reading comprehension, to, to understand terminology, that sort of thing, I think is certainly a, a huge plus and can really um, help solidify someone's understanding of, of a particular technology, especially as they're moving into you know, an entirely new area that perhaps they have no, no real prior experience in. Absolutely. I, I think there's a big difference between looking at the architecture, reading the document and saying, okay, well, I, I think this is going to work or an engineer that has come up to me and go, listen, I, I put it in the POC. I've worked with it in the lab. I've actually deployed it. I've worked in the GUI. I've worked in the command line and I can say that I feel comfortable in that. I want that guy in there. You know, th- I think there's also been in the past where people don't believe it until they put it under, you know, real stress in an, in a network um, that a lab just isn't enough. In my opinion, I think that a lab is a good way to be able to at least have a baseline configuration. You know, I'm not testing load. I'm not testing, you know, any type of special tra- traffic patterns. But if I know that someone put it through at least the baseline of, of deploying it and we can get it out in the environment, that that's a good first step, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think that, um, you know, certainly before you s- embrace any sort of large scale rollout of, of a particular technology or architecture, you want to do some some more intense testing. Uh, but taking that taking that hands on approach, putting it through the lab, you know, doing a basic deployment, uh, writing up some some rudimentary documentation on sort of the, the gotchas that you ran into or the the side notes that are particular to your environment that you know about because you're the one that designed your environment. Those sort of things I think are certainly very, very important and are a good solid first step. Um, I'm I'm curious, you know, moving on from terminology uh, you you mentioned that, you know, a lot of us, yourself included, you know, we're not one person teams, right? We often have team members that we have to uh, work with. And sometimes those team members also present a challenge in terms of, the adoption of a new technology um, for a variety of reasons. I've had guests on the show talk about how they needed to align their own learning efforts with the learning efforts of the rest of their team. Uh, one notable example was a gentleman who said, hey, he's going to go off and learn Python. And, uh, you know, because Python is enormously popular in, in network engineering these days. And uh, he found that it just it just didn't make sense for him. He couldn't sort of get that synergy going with the rest of his team but then when he switched over to looking at Ansible, uh, who some of his, which uh, a tool that some of his other team members were using, uh, suddenly that sort of clicked and it made sense. And so in that case, aligning what he was doing with uh, the efforts of the rest of his team made sense for him. But I think in this particular case, you're kind of talking more about, you know, you as an individual uh, maybe looking at a new technology and feeling like that new technology has value for your organization and for your team but you need to now go and convince others of that. And uh, were there, you know, how did you go about doing that? Like, were there, did you, you know, just kind of grassroots, you know, it, or did you have some sort of you know, management buy-in or, you know, what was it? What did it look like for you? So it was a combination effort. Um, you know, the business and management already bought into, we're doing it this way. So, 
people have to start falling in line. Now, in the very beginning, that wasn't there um, because not only did we have to, you know, just like with IT, the business also will be nervous about doing things differently. I mean, change is scary no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's IT, accounting, <laughs> engineering, anything. A change in how we normally do something, a foundational change, is going to be scary nonetheless. doesn't matter where we're at. Um, so, you know, what I ended up doing was once we had full management buy-in, and I had been warning, you know, the teams and, and the rest of the staff, hey, this is coming. And it was met with a lot of, ah, well, you know, we'll see. Like, we've heard this before, but, you know, things just end up going by the wayside or, you know, it becomes a corner case and it never goes anywhere. But I was very, very confident that this was going to be the way that we were going to do things in the future. So once it got full management buy-in, I decided to really put my money where my mouth was. Uh, and and I started training people on it. So I developed curriculum. Uh, I developed uh, a, a way of being able to, you know, I, I got buy-in from management to, you know, schedule weeks of training. And I would choose the, they would choose the individuals that they wanted. I would bring them in for a week and I would have them do the same type of hands-on lab and learning that I did. And I would show them, oh, this is where you can screw up. This is, you know, some of the terminology. Here's the differences. Explain that. Make my own visios. So I did a lot of that. You know, I took the bull by the horns, if you will, and said, listen, I not only believe in this, I'm willing to spend my own time and effort making the training materials for you to show you how to work this in my process of what I did. And now after, you know, about a year of doing this with, with specific technologies that we have implemented, now I start getting the questions of, wow, that was great. But, you know, what else could I do to enhance my learning? Where, you know, now they're starting to buy in and understand where the future is going in networking, and they're getting excited about it. And they're saying, well, how can I do more? How can I get involved? Like, how do I get involved in that project? Or or, or what can I learn to be prepared for tomorrow? And it's great to hear that. So I can start giving them, you know, advice to, to say, hey, go, if you're not a network guy, or if you're just a network guy, or you feel like you're just a network guy, and you want to learn more about programming, go learn Python, go learn Ansible, go learn, you know, learn about Puppet and Chef and all these different things. There's so much to do that, I mean, there really is no lack of material out there or lack of resources to come to go learn from. So it's cool to see them, you know, like a lot of these people I see them remotely, but to see the light up in their eyes when they when it finally clicks in their head and they go, ah, oh, that's what you're talking about. Now I get it and I want to play. Uh, that's that's really cool that you, uh, you you took the time to kind of develop some custom you know training and custom training materials that were specific to your organization and your implementation, and then use that to, to help kind of, you know, bring them around, uh, to, to seeing the benefit for them. Cause I, you know, you're absolutely right. Change is scary, right? It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, change is scary. You know, if you, if you're somebody who's been in the industry for a while and you know how to do a, you know, whatever a is, whether it's storage or networking or servers or operating systems or, you know, whatever the case is. And then suddenly here along comes, you know, B, and this is different and new, and you've got a, you know, you, you don't have that same comfort level anymore. And, and you know, now you're suddenly, you know, not the expert, whereas maybe you have been for years. Yeah, that it, it makes people uncomfortable. I think there's a, there's a certain amount of empathy that sometimes is lacking as we try to encourage folks to embrace new technologies. Uh, we sometimes forget that, you know, this, this can be hard and it can be scary and we need to kind of meet people where they are and and help them along that journey. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to know, though, did you find that creating these materials um, 
Well, what did it do for your own knowledge level? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, it, it, making the material in the very beginning was probably one of the more difficult things I had to do because it, when it's one thing to understand it in my brain and I kind of look at, I forgot who actually said this. I, I think, I don't know. It, it was someone that actually said this in a podcast one time and I, and I loved it. And I, I thought it was one of the greatest things. I, I want to say it was Yvonne Pepiniak, but could be wrong here. Um, but it, it, like treat your brain and these types of things like a library. So I took all these concepts and, you know, like, you know, how, how routing is done with it and how, you know, micro segmentation or whatever, whatever thing it is. And I would try to, you know, put that in my brain of, okay, well, micro segmentation, that's, you know, could be a firewall function and blah, blah, blah. Like, and I, and I create this library of knowledge that then I know how it can interconnect and, and interact with other things and other technology. So when someone asks me a question about, oh, how's it working routing? Okay. It's, in the, I got to look in the routing section, you know, and, and this is this technology overlay tunneling and, and things like that. Okay. All right. Now, and this is, this is how it can work. And this is how I can make it interact with other things. But my brain works differently from other people's brains, you know, and, and people learn differently, um, and, and consume material differently. So I had to then, you know, the first class was very, very unique because, you know, it was brand new material. You know, I tried to make some very, very rough visios and word documents and, and connectivity into a lab. And it was, it was very much a, oh, okay, that worked, but then they were completely lost on that one. So maybe I'm going to have to make a better drawing. And they gave me suggestions. They said, well, th this was good, but you could only use a little bit of work here because we weren't getting what you were trying to come across with. So, you know, now that I've done it, you know, three, four five times, it seems so much easier because now I have a routine, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about each day. I know the most likely what the problems are going to have. You know, it, it, you even find yourself in these situations where I start to explain a concept that I know is going to be difficult. And I go, OK, who understand that? It's crickets. OK, I know you didn't understand that. So we're going to go over that two, three more times because I know this is a really hard part. So I'm going to make sure you understand it by the end of this lecture. That uh, brings me back to some of my early days in my career as a as a uh, Microsoft certified trainer way back in the day and um, teaching people uh, the uh, TCPIP stack on Windows NT. Um, and, uh, you know, nowadays, I think perhaps, you know, uh, most most people probably have a rough, you know, idea of, of the TCPIP stack and subnetting and IP addressing, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, late 90s, that was entirely new. And boy, I tell you, it was, uh, there was lots of those cricket moments when you're like, okay, did everybody get that? Do you understand how subnet masks work now? Um, but uh, that was uh, a tough uh period as a disruptor, because sometimes it, you just had to wait until the light bulb went off and there was nothing more you could say or do. I know. And, 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 you know, the worst thing that you can have in a training session is that uncomfortable silence. Like, all right, so, to, you know, is everyone good? Can we move on? You just get crickets. You're like, okay, I'm going to assume silence is golden and we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, the reason I asked that question and you can probably, you know, figure out why I asked it. And that is that um, one recurring theme I've heard from a lot of folks uh, who have been on the show, um, sometimes you know, we've had guests on the show who were on the show specifically to talk about their learning process, um, not necessarily what they were learning, but specifically the process that they followed for learning. And other guests on the show, we've had them on to talk about what they learned and sort of the challenges that they faced along the way and how they overcame those challenges, much in the same way that you, know, you and I are having this conversation right now. Um, but one of the recurring themes that I hear over and over again from from guests, and that is that 
when they take the time to try to teach what they've learned to someone else, it both solidifies their own knowledge and exposes areas where they didn't know it as well as perhaps they thought they did, right? And so doing this thing, and, and you're right, it probably was Yvonne because Yvonne has, you know, this, uh, you know, I don't know how to even how to call it. He's like, uh, you know, a, a, a solitary figure in content creation, you know, stands head and shoulders above everybody, everybody else. But, um, uh, but having that ability to then say, go back and, and, and take these pieces and link them back to what you already know and make comparisons and contrasts against what it's similar and how it's different and that sort of thing really begins to um, help you understand it better, helps you explain it better. And a lot of times you don't get, you know, you don't really see where you didn't have that, that good understanding until you try to explain it. And then somebody says, well, no, that didn't make sense. Why, you know, and then you have to try and find a different way to explain it. And then you find a different analogy or a different, you know, set of terms to use. And then somebody says, oh, okay, now I get it. So I really think that in some way, if you are, if you as a listener or as an IT professional, if you're interested in, in really continuing to evolve your skill set, I'm a firm believer that that means you are also going to have to be not only a receiver of information and knowledge, but also a giver of information and knowledge. And it's just, it's a natural part of that process. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, there, there were several points where I would get a zinger of a question where I would go, Hmm, I, I really need to think that out. So like I, w- I would be, I would actually work through the process in my brain and I would, I would, you know, be very audible about, it. I would tell them, okay, well, you know, I think like it's got to go this way and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, and I would work through the process live and I go, listen, guys, I don't have all the answers. Like sometimes you're going to hit me with a question that I just don't know. And I'm going to have to think about it. I can get back to you. You know, I'm not going to lie to you and, and say that I, that I know everything at the top of my head, but it, it does, it helps solidify your knowledge. You're always going to be, you have to be humble too, while you're teaching, you can't act like a know-it-all. And then when someone comes up with a, with a good zinger or, or proves you wrong, that you go, well, you know, uh, well, you, you phrased the question wrong or, or, or you tricked me on that. No, no, I like, you know, I adjust my, my curriculum. Where I go, you know what? You're right. I, I was incorrect there. Um, you know, this appears to be the case and I learned something new. Look at that, you know? So there has to be a little bit of a humility. Otherwise you're not, people are going to turn themselves off if you're just cocky and you're dictating to them instead of trying to, I'm trying to assist them on the journey of learning. I'm not there to prove that I'm smarter than them or better than them, or that I'm just, you know, a, a more efficient engineer. My goal is to help them along the journey and make them more willing to learn new things along the way. You know, that's a, that's a, an excellent sort of, you know, uh, like soundbite right there. And that is that, you know, really, uh, you know, my, my own personal belief and the way I've approached my career and, and a lot of different things is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to help others be successful and, and, you know, hopefully find some success of my own along the way. But if we, if we, if we can remember to, to take a little bit of humility and to say, you know, if I, if I know a particular technology and I'm trying to share that particular technology with somebody else, whether that be through, you know, an instructor led class where you're standing up teaching as, as you were, or whether it's a, a blog post that you're writing, um, whether it's a you know YouTube video you're making or a video training course that you're creating uh, or, you know, whatever. Uh, a presentation with screenshots, whatever the medium might be, if we can just remind ourselves that this is about helping somebody else in their journey, uh, helping them overcome overcome the challenges that we had to overcome when we were where they are now, right? 
uh, instead of, you know, oh, I'm going to show how great I am or how smart I am. You know, I think that would certainly go a long ways. And one of the recurring themes in the show here is that in so many cases, we, we find uh, that we have to reach across uh, the silos into another group, right? And um, having that humility and having that approach of saying, I'm here to help you be successful in what you're trying to accomplish is just so valuable when you're trying to forge those cross-team, cross-discipline sort of relationships. I don't know, did you run into that at all along along your your experience? Oh, absolutely. Actually, it's funny that you say that because you you brought up something in my brain that I didn't realize that I connected it to. But, you know, I, I remember, you know, going back to, I always like to connect it to my pastor or things that I've done because, I, you know, obviously that does shape who you are as a person and an engineer in the future. But I remember when I would go into customer sites, you know, a lot of times, you know, they didn't have network drawings. There was something that was broken. There's a reason why they're bringing you or the team in as a consultant to help them fix a problem. Something's usually broken or they don't have time to fix it. And the worst thing I could have done when I would go through and I would have to do my own manual discovery because they didn't have network drawings or, you know, the drawings were, you know, five, six, seven years old. So I have to go through the worst thing you could do is when you got all of your information and you went into that room with the with the managers and the engineering team, you go, man, what a screwed up network you guys have. I mean, who was thinking about what were they thinking? These guys were the biggest idiots. And little do you know that it's the guy right next to you that works for the company and he's steaming. And now you've lost all credibility because you literally just tore him to shreds in front of everybody, made him made him look stupid. So you, you had to approach and go, listen, I like, I, one of the things I used to do is listen, I don't know why it was done this way. I'm sure there were reasons why, but I found in the past, this is maybe not the best way of doing this. So maybe we should approach it in a different manner, or maybe there's a reason why we have to do this. And I don't know a constraint. So help me understand why it is the way that it is. And then we can make a decision going forward as to what we do. Do we leave it or do we fix it? And I would break down, you know, all these different bullet points of things that we could do and we can figure out then how to make their network better. So when it comes to moving across the different silos, same thing in a company, I don't want to walk in and maybe I do know, like I, I am a multidiscipline and I'm not just a network guy, but I also understand Microsoft servers or I also understand uh, programming or, or databases or things like that. The worst thing I can do is walk in and go, oh man, whoever made this Active Directory setup is an idiot. Like, this guy's the dumbest person in the world. I wouldn't have done it this way. And that guy's sitting right next to you. Now you've lost all credibility within a silo of your own company. So now if you need them to do you a favor, good luck getting them to do it. Like they hate your guts now and they're not going to respond to your emails. So you have to have that humility. You have to have the ability to, you know, sometimes schmooze, work with them uh, and, and, and be accepting because you just don't know the reasons why something was done the way that it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so often that, Decisions are made and and architectures are are implemented and it, it you know for for any number of reasons and and you know it could have been a budget constraint it could have been a personnel constraint it could have been um, you know something else entirely right uh, something that the business needed at that time that then now the business no longer needs and therefore those constraints have changed or whatever the case may be but uh, but we certainly have to have to consider that um, there. There are likely going to be inputs that we were not privy to, that we didn't know, and that's going to shape how somebody else does something, whether it's in a different team, you know, where it's an entirely different technology, an entirely different 
sort of, uh, you know, discipline, storage, for example, or, or, or something of that nature. Or even within your own team, you know, if you're, you're working with another networking professional, that other networking professional, you know, she may have an entirely different way of approaching a problem than you do and therefore arrive at an entirely different um, sort of decision. Um, and it, it may be better, maybe worse. You know, we don't know, but the fact is it's going to be different. We need to at least take into account that those differences are going to exist and it's okay. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So shifting uh, the discussion a little bit, um, I'm curious, you know, uh, I want to ask this question in, 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 in two phases, and that is first for you personally, but then also sort of um, on a broader industry scale. So for you personally, I'm just curious, you know, um, what are the, the two or three things that are kind of on your mind that maybe are on the edge of your radar and you're saying, you know, when I get a moment, I really want to take a look at blank. Um, two or three things. Boy, that's a great question. Um, so uh, number one, I have to say, uh, programming automation orchestration. I know we, we kind of, I've said that, you know, two or three times. Um, I sound like a broken record sometimes with that, but so you, you kind of have to attribute it to yet again, my history. So when I started out in just it in general and just learning things when I was young, I, I really took an interest in computers and, you know, long story short, I also took an interest in programming. So, you know, I have a lot to thank for my father for actually showing me and, and getting me interested um, out, of, out of the three uh, sons that, that, that my parents had, uh, me being the youngest. I was the one that really took on, you know, and, and embraced, uh, you know, computers and programming things. So, um, you know, I had that natural connection with my father to, you know, he, he, he would show me all kinds of things. He was a big uh, fan of writing an assembler and, you know, and, and a lot of low level languages like that's that is really one of his interests. So, you know, I, I embraced that. I really appreciate it, but I knew that I didn't want to stick with programming. I, I didn't want to be a normal, you know, like I, I remember I would take the curriculum of learning C and C plus plus in these classes. And, you know, like the traditional thing you have to do is make an ATM machine, you know, and C. and there was nothing more boring to me than writing code that I just did not care about. So I knew immediately that I did not have an interest in that, but I still liked it and I still enjoyed doing um, that type of stuff on my own time. But I got into networking because it, it had a lot of the same things. So like I'm sitting there in a green screen, screen, you know, command line interface. And I'm like, wow, this, this has the look and the feel of kind of like a programming thing, but it really isn't programming and it has my interest. So now that, you know, many, many years later, we're going into this automation and orchestration world and we're bringing programming in the, in the mindset of using scripting languages like, uh, you know, Python and, and you can use JavaScript in, in some of these different technologies or Ansible or anything. It like, it, it's now brought that original love of what I had that brought me into computing into today's day and age. And I get to link that with my networking, which I've loved for the past 10, 11 years that I've been doing it. So, you know, it, it just works out great. Um, and then, and then the second thing I would say, or maybe third thing is, all of these different ways of doing overlay tunneling, you know, I, I brought it up earlier in the very beginning of the podcast, but, you know, NSX, ACI, you know, different ways, you know, OpenStack, all these different ways that we can do it. I think they're all interesting. I, I, I love where we're going these days. I love this mindset of, you know, micro segmentation. And I've never felt more like a true system engineer, or a true network engineer that I can use these different programming and APIs that are out there, these tools, and I can really make something that has some value to the business as opposed to just turning on these big pieces of a puzzle. Like, you know, like, you know, we, we go in a Cisco switch and we would turn on BGP or we would turn on OSPF, we, you know, spanning trees on or, or, you know, and we, we turn on all these, these big knobs, but 
you know, besides maybe some of the more, you know, uh, intricate ones that you could do, like OSPF that has a lot of nerd knobs, you're you're really just kind of, you know, you're putting the blocks together, but we're not actually building anything super unique. We're, you know, we may have thought that we were building snowflakes, but we're, we're taking on these big switches and we're just turning them on and off. But now with APIs, now with feedback loops, and we can put these different technologies together, grab data, write scripts and write routines to be able to then, you know, get valuable data and return it to an end user, return it to a network ops guy or a systems engineer or something. I feel like now we truly have the power of building something good and cool. Like this is just the coolest thing in my opinion. I I feel like this is really a a turn in the industry. And if you embrace it, you have so much more that you can do in the next 15 years than we ever had in networking. Yeah, that's cool. I would agree. I think that the rise of, of all of the APIs and the extent to which we as an industry are making things, um, for lack of a better term, automatable, um, I think is going to give us uh, a really interesting sort of explosion of, of new things that people are creating that add real value for their organization and that are very, very custom to their organization. Um, okay, so on a personal level, you know, more orchestration, more automation, more programming skills. Now let's take that question kind of sort of at an industry level, right? And say, you know, what's what are the sort of the big trends that are happening in the industry, networking or otherwise, that you think are really, really interesting? Um, maybe they're still super early yet, right? But they're out there on the edge of your radar and you're kind of keeping an eye on them and you're thinking, you know, um, if I were to tell you know somebody on the show and which you are right the listeners <laughs> about something interesting that I've seen and I'm going to keep an eye on it would be blank. I, you know what a uh, white box is definitely one of those topics that I just really really love to to hear about all the different types of network OSs that are going to be coming out and all the work that's going around that that world really really intrigues me. Um, some of the stuff that I've seen with the, the new types of chips that are coming out um, really really cool stuff that's out there. Uh, you it, now we're no longer working in a world where we have like, you know, one or two or three vendors like, you know, the Arista or the, the Cisco or, you know, the Dell and the HP. Like you had all those, you know, even before Arista wasn't really, um, you know, around too much, you know, 10 years ago. So, you know, you had the kind of the big three and, you know, there, there were a couple of different outliers that were there. But, you know, now that that you have all these different white box alternatives that are out there and these new network OSs that are coming out and these new ways of doing things. Um, I, I think that that's just interesting. Like I, I want to dig in deeper. I want to know more about that, you know, digging deeper with NFV, um, it, it like that kind of stuff it, there, there's just so, there's so much that you can do out. I mean, I, I could talk about, you know, uh, oh my God, um, um, open V switch and, and, uh, you know, uh, open flow and that, I know that, you know, open flow is kind of questionable on the downturn or the upturn, you know, I've, I've heard mixed reviews, but just from a pure learning standpoint for me, I, you know, I've wanted to know more about it and, and dive deeper. It's just, there's so much material out there that there's only so much that you could do in a day. And, um, you know, I, I just try to consume as much as possible when I can. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm certainly, I think it's, probably no secret that I'm a, I'm a huge sort of Linux fan. And so the, the rise of Linux based network operating systems like Cumulus and others, uh, I think is going to be a really interesting sort of development and it'll be fascinating to see um, what that does, if anything, to the continued convergence um, or, or crossover of uh, what happens when we augment networking with additional compute power and, um, uh, and, and we could get into some interesting discussions there, but 
we are drawing near our, the end of our time, so we'll have to perhaps table those discussions for a future episode. Um, so uh, I'd like to take a minute again, Andrew, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, I very enjoyable conversation. I think the listeners uh, will get a lot of very useful information that they can apply to their own careers. I wonder before we wrap up, is there um, some online, uh, you know, information, a Twitter handle, a blog post or blog URL, excuse me, something like that in case uh, if you are, you know, active on those platforms where listeners might be able to connect with you and see what sort of information you're sharing. You know, um, I, I'm rarely on Twitter, but uh, A-H-R-Y-C-A-J, so, you know, A and then my last name. Um, I'll repeat that one more time. A-H-R-Y-C is in cat, A is in apple, J is in jack. Sorry, I didn't use the actual military uh, <laughs> terminology there to be able to spell out the letters. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, just look for my my full name. Um, you know, th- th- there are many ways that you can get in contact with me. Um, I'm sure that, that you'll find, I have a pretty unique last name, so I'm pretty sure that you'll be able to find me somehow, some way. Um, I need to blog more to be quite honest. Uh, it's one of those things that I've been putting on my list of things to do, but, um, you know, creating content, I'm sure anyone that, that puts out material knows it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort to make sure that you put out something that is easily consumable and not full of errors. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things I want to do. So when I do have that, I'll, I'll make sure to broadcast that out to the masses. Yeah, awesome. That's perfect. And as a as a, a 13 year blogging veteran, I can definitely attest to the fact that it is it is work. <laughs> no doubt about that. Absolutely. But I want to take a quick moment to to thank you for having me on the show. I really really appreciate it. Um, been an awesome experience. I'd uh, love to do it again. And uh, thanks just for thinking about me and having me on the show. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's been it's been great. I, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, listeners. Thanks so much for giving us some of your time and attention. Uh, this morning, this afternoon, or this evening, whatever the case may be, and uh, for joining us for another episode of the Full Stack Journey podcast. Um, as always, um, you can find these episodes uh, through a variety of means, both iTunes, uh, Stitcher, I think uh, um, other platforms are coming online. I know that uh, Greg and Ethan um, with Packet Pushers that we are affiliated with are constantly looking for new ways to expand our footprint of the podcasts. So, um, you know, I'm sure that uh, there isn't a particular platform where you can find the podcast. Uh, it, it will be there soon. Um, if you have feedback about the podcast, uh, by all means, feel free to reach out to me, the host. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter as at Scott underscore low. Um, you can visit my website, blog.scottlow.org. Um, you can also hit the podcast directly. It has its own Twitter handle at FSJ podcast. Um, but of course that'll just be me behind a different Twitter handle, at least for now until, you know, we, we add a, a huge staff to the podcast. Um, but feel free to give us any feedback, um, any suggestions for improvement, anything of that nature. We'd also certainly love for you to take some time to rate the podcast, provide a rating or, or um, uh, you know, something of that nature on iTunes. It does help uh, the other uh, potential listeners find us as they're searching for podcasts. So if you can take a moment to do that, listeners, we'd certainly appreciate that. Thanks again for your time. Uh, we hope that you found something useful on the podcast, and we look forward to uh, having you join us again next time around. 